Welcome to episode 54 of the Tech Done Right podcast, TableXI's podcast about building better software, careers, companies, and communities. I'm Noel Rappin. On this episode, we've got Sam Fippen and Justin Searles back for their third round on the show. Both of them have been working on new Ruby tools to better standardize your team's style and code formatting. So we talk a lot about why they've decided these kinds of tools are important and what their philosophy of coding style is and how they evaluate code when given a code sample to look at. It's an interesting deep dive into code style and Ruby formatting and how Ruby teams work. We'd like to hear from you. How does your team handle differences of opinion and code style? Let us know at techdoneright.io slash 54 or on Twitter at tech underscore done underscore right. Before we start the show, one quick message. TableXI offers training for developer and product teams. If you want us to come to your place of business and run an interactive hands-on workshop, we would very much like to do that. Topics range from testing to Rails and JavaScript to agile estimation to taking money via Stripe, uh, all kinds of things. Also, if you're in the Chicago area, be on the lookout for monthly public workshops starting in early 2019. For more information, email us at workshops at TableXI or hit us on the web at tablexi.com slash workshops. And now here's my conversation with Sam and Justin. Sam and Justin, would you like to remind people who you are and why you are here? Sure. So my name is Sam Fippen. Uh, I'm one of two lead maintainers of uh, the RSpec testing framework in Ruby on Rails. And Justin? Hi, uh, my name is Justin Pearls. I'm a co-founder at a software agency called Test Double. Uh, we do a lot of Ruby and JavaScript work uh, with companies all around the world. It's been my goal since uh, this podcast started that uh, I could have a one-on-one -on -one session with Noel, but he keeps inviting Sam. <laughs> we could do a one-on-one. -on -one. I don't even know what we'd talk about at this point, because I think Sam and I have so tangled up our, our Ruby identity. Yeah, which one of you is which again? Which one of you has the British accent? <laughs> <laughs> so we are here, uh, the last couple of times you've been on, we've talked about testing, which I don't think we're going to at least start with at this point. Uh, we're here because both of you separately like went on and on with me at RubyConf about hash rockets and various and sundry other Ruby formatting and structural things. So Justin, I think you have announced a public project on that. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about style. Uh, so I need to kind of come clean and out myself as like w the worst person on every team that you've ever been on when it comes to nitpicking about really aesthetic choices uh, for things like code style, like liking how code looks this way versus that way and bringing it up at the worst possible times. So you're the guy doing all the white space commits. Yeah, sometimes, uh, or at least in my past. And I, I recognized even I think at the time that it was often unproductive it was difficult for me to overcome because to me, consistency is really, really important in a code base to uh, accomplish a lot of other downstream goals. Uh, and it's very difficult, I found, in, in a big monolithic code base that's highly inconsistent or you know high entropy, so to speak, to accomplish things like broad-based refactors or just like swoop in and understand you know any given unit and what it does. And so in the interest of consistency, I've always harped on and cared a lot about code style. And, uh, you know, from formatting all the way to, you know, which method we use in which case and so forth. But recently, I think I've learned that the, the, the best way to tamp down or suppress that instinct for myself uh, has been to have a tool that just enforces something, some set of rules, basically take the gun out of my hands and, and force, the, force myself and, and the team that I'm working with to just follow um, a, a prescribed approach. I, I learned this about myself when I adopted standard JS 
after meeting Faraz Abuka DJ, who's the author of it. And what standard is, is it's a um, uh, rule set that st- stands on top of ESLint for JavaScript. Uh, and its only noteworthy feature is that it is not configurable. Uh, so a standard comes with a set of rules and you follow those rules. And if you don't like those rules, tough. Because it's an external thing from the team, the team spends no time bike shedding about those rules. And additionally, it sort of like eased my apprehension about like specific quibbles that I really care about, about things like white space, because it was out of our hands anyway, and I could just hate the tool uh, as opposed to other people on my team. Uh, so so I really like standard JS for that reason. And uh, because I see a lot of our client teams really struggle with bike shedding around RuboCop configurations or particularly onerous RuboCop defaults that I would endeavor uh, with Faraz's blessing to create a standard gem for Ruby that was uh, very similar. So the gem standard, which has a binary standard RB and some rake tasks and stuff to run, uh, stands on top of RuboCop and it has a uh, very... Oh, sure. So RuboCop is the most popular linter and style guide tool for for Ruby, and it is noteworthy uh, for a couple of reasons. I think parenthetically, it's probably the only one. There, there is a tool called Rufo, uh, R-U-F-O, uh, which which purports to do the same thing. And there's a handful of other, I think, smell tests, like Reek, for example, is a really cool tool for for identifying uh, different code smells. Uh, and there's a lot of overlap in terms of where does style format end and lint start right so as your rubocop is notable for its voluminous number of options you were about to say yes uh and and also the unpalatability of its defaults i i think that regardless of intent or who you know i i don't have a personal bone to pick in this i don't really know anyone who's who's been a heavy contributor to to rubocop or especially early on but while it's a very popular linting tool and definitely the most well adopted in the Ruby community. I felt like its defaults don't really reflect very much Ruby code that I actually see day to day. And uh, a lot of our client teams seem to agree because all of them customize this thing out of the wazoo. And so because every team seems to be dissatisfied with the defaults, customization goes way up, which increases the amount of bike shedding that you see in Rubocop uh, way above and beyond what you see in other languages uh, like JavaScript with ESLint, for example. So it felt like a really pressing issue to address. And that's why I think the standard gem, if we can just get some adoption behind it, uh, I could help resolve that for teams. So you're trying to create a, I think, a low configuration. I don't think there are actually no configuration options on standard Ruby. Uh, a low configuration set of defaults. Yeah, right. The, I mean, the configuration that's available is mostly quality of life, like how am I running the thing as opposed to customizing the rule set per se. All right. There are a couple things I want to say, but Sam, I want to give you a chance to talk about this first if you uh, have something to add. And I mean, Justin and I went back and forth fairly heavily while he was spinning up standard, right? So like, I think that Justin has made a lot of good choices, but also he like involved me in a number of the making choices about what configuration defaults on top of Rubicop make sense. So like, in particular, and I think nobody in the Ruby community was very surprised by this, is that like the day before RubyConf, I dropped my hash rockets a good actually blog post, which is an opinion I've held for... A really long period of time. I think it's one Justin agrees with, and we were sort of trying to reinforce the case uh, for using hash rockets as uh, as an enforced thing in standard. Now, both Justin and I, I think, have since come down from that hill. But like, as a sort of like reasonable set of uh, configuration defaults that you can't change, I really do like a lot of the choices Justin has made uh, in standard. Even if they're not the ones I would have made, they're at least quite defensible. So yeah, I think. 
Justin's doing some great work with uh, that tool. Yeah, I've had sort of an interesting change of heart on this where, Justin, I, I also was always the person on a team who was making whitespace comments and and was super fussy about uh, a particular method of indentation that made a lot of sense to me that I could only marginally articulate to other people. Especially over the last two or three years, I've really moved away from that at least in my in in the sense where I'm able to give other people grief uh, about it. I, I it's still like code that's not formatted the way I want still kind of bothers me a little bit, but I'm able to sort of deal with it more. I think the difference is is between code being formatted the way that any particular individual or set of individuals wants, and like there being complete well enforced consistency across a code base, right? Yeah. So I think that what I've seen is the value of having consistency, even if it's not necessarily my consistency. And, and some of that has come from language tools like Elm format that that formats things completely differently than I would normally, but which is consistent and fine. And so well integrated that it actually like I'm sloppier in my typing because I know the formatter will, will clean it up. Right, exactly. And I've been I've been programming a lot of Go recently and Go has GoFumped, which like basically everyone has set up to the moment they save a file, all the code just snaps into place, right? And that's been in place since Go 1.0. Uh, and so, like, I think part of this as well is that there isn't, like, a single source in Ruby where we can all just agree that code looks like this, right? And I think that's really the high-level problem that Justin and I are aiming down solving. You know, I don't think it's an accident that Ruby has either of these problems. First, Ruby attracts a lot of people, especially people who've been around Ruby for 10 years or more, uh, like ourselves. It attracts a lot of people who are opinionated about aesthetics and code uh you know ruby uh a big reason people came to it is a beautiful language you can do a lot of things you can express yourself in a lot of different ways with ruby and so i think we have a high population of people with you know strong taste around how they like code to look uh but then we have a, another problem uh which is at the same time ruby is an incredibly expressive language and we've diverged in so many different styles you know you talk about uh, Seattle style, and it conjures like a very specific look to to how uh, code is formatted that might differ dramatically from somewhere else. That certainly differs in various enterprises, maybe where they don't have uh, quite a strong attachment to the community. So, figuring out how to build a custom rule set that is simultaneously fostering consistency without you know kneecapping what is really awesome about ruby which is like it's highly expressive and you can express yourself in lots of different ways and and establish a particular aesthetic that's been probably the primary challenge in figuring out the right rule set for standard yeah i think that also sort of some of ruby's like pearl heritage shows up here where there's the 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 sense of it's a positive good to have multiple ways of doing things i remember seven or eight years ago i used to work at a consulting company called optiva uh, we had hired Michael Feathers, uh, author of Working Effectively with Legacy Code, who had not to that point done a whole lot of Ruby. And so I, I was kind of show I wasn't exactly teaching him Ruby, that would be presumptuous, but I was showing him like what Ruby aesthetics were. And he when he found out that you could leave off the parentheses in the method argument of a of a method definition, the def arg name def method name parentheses, that you could leave off those parentheses. I said, you can leave them off, but I find it really ugly. And it really tickled him that you could do that. And I think it also tickled him that it bugged me. <laughs> so he would you know, write all his code in, in what is effectively Seattle style just because he thought it was cool. And, and you know, I'd hate, I'd hate to lose that exactly, although that particular point of style like 
still bugs me. But here's a, here's a thing that is a little bit related. I used so for many times over the last ten years, I have popped onto Twitter and asked the question: Would you hire an otherwise qualified Ruby developer if their code sample, their incoming code sample, was otherwise reasonable but was indented four spaces? And I generally have gotten. I don't know if my answers have diverged over time, but like to me that, that that gets to a question of like how important style is and how important community standards for what code looks like are. So to me, the answer to that question would depend on who, what that person's background was, right? Like if I was hiring someone who had 10 years of experience writing, say Java into like a senior Ruby engineer job, but like was confident they could pick up Ruby and they'd done that, I would be fine with it. Right. Like if this is someone who was claiming to have a significant amount of Ruby experience coming in, then I think no. Right. Like, and so it really depends on the person's background. Well, what I might say, yeah, I agree with everything Sam said. I think that the interesting thing is that in a broad sense, as technologists who also care about the social and uh, interpersonal aspects of this industry, we talk a lot, we talk a big game about how, you know, writing code and software is a very human act. It's a creative thing. It's about communicate writing code that communicates to other developers well uh, in the present and in the future. And if that's true, then when we're evaluating other people's code, we need to be able to detangle several qualities of it. You know, like, for example, does it literally do the job? Like, does it automate the computer to do the the, the thing requested correctly? Uh, that's just one aspect of several. And I think that if I were to get that code sample, I'd evaluate that. Uh, and then I'd start looking for, you know, other indicators. Like, you know, for example, is it factored in small, simple units? That tells me something about what they value. Is it tested? And when I see a style that's really highly divergent from what the community does, I think what it tells me is some level of connectedness to... The, the community writ large, because four space indents is so unusual in Ruby that it probably tells me that their experience writing Ruby is, to Sam's point, either uh, limited or maybe it's just cloistered off and and in, in a sense isolated. And I think community involvement is super duper important to being a successful uh, programmer, especially in a highly dynamic language where there's a lot of tribal knowledge necessary to be productive. Uh, but it's not the only thing. Uh, it's just something that I would probably dig into next. Yeah, I think that was always my argument. That was that it indicated a lack of community engagement, and it was therefore a valid data point. I, I think maybe there would have been a time where I would have been harsher on it, but I think now I would just consider it a data point to follow up on. Yeah, when I'm interviewing candidates, it's, there's very rarely single points of elimination anywhere. I know this is a tangent, but rather like you <laughs> amass a bunch of signals to uh, make a decision, right? No, I actually think this is interesting. I would be very curious to know what. Either of you, because both of you, I assume, have evaluated code samples, as have I, for developer positions. And I'd be very curious to know what kinds of things you look at. Uh, I think this is adjacent to the style question. So, yeah, I'm happy to I'm happy to take this left turn if you are, Justin. <laughs> yeah, sure. Go for it. When I've looked at people's code homework submissions, there's like usually usually a few things I, I've, I've looked for. And most of my recent hiring experience has been with um, more senior engineering roles. And so that certainly colors uh, the evaluation criteria a little bit, but like one of, one of the things is like, is it functionally correct? Did they actually do, do the thing the exercise was asking for without necessarily breaking any of the functionality? And like, did they prove it? Can I understand? Have they written an appropriate amount of code for the problem? Too much or too little can often be an indicator of stuff. Justin gave a bunch of really good sort of code level 
things, but then also in, in the code homework that I was evaluating most recently, we had like a bunch of required communication pieces, including like write some documentation about the code that you've written, but also write a sort of design rationale for why you solved the problem the way that you solved it, right? Like why you made certain architectural choices and, and what the trade-offs were. And that is actually where I got the overwhelming majority of my sort of opinion formed is how the the candidate was talking about architectural trade-offs because some, some people were like we just use threads because threads is the obvious way to solve this problem and i'm like that's not a design rationale you're just saying things right and so yeah actually like how people talk about their process of designing software at least for me was one of the more interesting evaluation points in in the exercise that i used most recently um i don't know if that's helpful yeah my most recent experience is on entry-level coders and I found that it is we use one exercise at TableXI for entry level and senior level. And I found that it is somewhat hard to calibrate your expectations to have a similar rubric uh, for both entry level and, and senior level. One of the ways we get around that is, you know, certain things are like very we would consider certain things very damaging for a senior level submission, but wouldn't worry about them tremendously in a junior level submission. But I agree though that I the the extent to which people are willing able to talk about and, and write about the rationale is, is, is very interesting. We sometimes, there's a little bit of ambiguity in our code base. Certainly you, in our code sample, you could certainly interpret it in different ways. And I like it when people either ask questions or say in their comments that they have made an assumption about that ambiguity right? rather than just sort of not showing any evidence that they thought about it at all. It's actually pretty amusing to me. So so as I think most everyone on the internet knows at this point, I recently went through a round of interviewing. And I won't say which company set this as their coding homework, but a company set me the uh, Gilded Rose Carter as as their interview okay. homework. And I think... Sure, a, a famous code problem. Right. So it, turn, it, the internet. it turns yeah. out this has been sort of uh, beaten to death in the Ruby community, but in, in communities with other programming languages, it's not actually necessarily... Uh, so well known so like you know i prompt i promptly break out the like very standard and well-known path amongst our ruby friends at this point and then i get i get to my sort of review interview and the guy goes oh yeah sometimes people interpret it to mean this completely different thing and i was like okay that's amazing because we've been talking about this problem for literally maybe five years in our community and i don't know that i've seen anyone ever take it that way and i was like oh huh interesting um and so like it's really fun to me to think how we even have these well-established problems that can have ambiguity in them, let alone like something that you've concocted for your own interviewing purposes. I guess all that I have to add to this, because uh, you both covered it pretty well, at Test Double, we also uh, offer up to candidates a, a sort of what we call a take-home exercise. And we're careful to not just uh, make that something where somebody with a ton of privilege and spare time can really show off and somebody with more limited resources uh, would struggle. And so we have like a lot of clear direction. Uh, for example, it's time box. We only want to see you know, how much you can do in two hours. And, and honestly, we've, we've, we don't disqualify people for like a single reason very often, but it's definitely not a good look if, if it's obvious that the candidate spent six, seven hours on this thing, because it's just a basic, you know, follow directions aspect. But, you know, like every now and then there's the obvious stuff, you know, we've had submissions to that where a person implements like all five of the stories of the, of the problem in like one 1000 line long method. And, and it's, 
easy to point at that and be like, well, that's not good. Or, or they'll go really, really far and, and not write any single tests. And, and all that's interesting, but it's really doesn't tell you very much, uh, especially if they're somewhere in, you know, some acceptable range of solutions un- until you talk to them. And so the, right. the first interview following that take home exercise is actually a talk through review of that code where, where the candidate is in the driver's seat. They're talking you through their design, how they approached it. And we have a kind of a, a sort of a guided path of different challenges. And without, I guess, sharing the rubric, a lot of them are based on the presumption of like, well, you know, uh, let's push back, let's challenge, let's ask hard questions and just see how thoughtful uh, the person was about those decisions, as well as like whether or not it triggers any sort of defensive reactions. Because as consultants, we have to uh, make peace with a whole bunch of different teams and we're not always going to get our way. So I found that to be a, a really great overall exercise, but you walk away with a much more holistic measure than person can't code good. Yeah, for sure. Our next step, similarly, is a pair exercise using that sample as a as a basis. And and for much the same reason, we want to talk to the person about it. We want to give them feedback and see how they react to feedback and, and refactoring suggestions and things like that. Uh, and yeah, that's often a much richer source of information than just the code on its own. Okay, so if we were to take a right turn back onto our original topic of uh, linters and <laughs> formatters and the Ruby community, what else uh, is there to talk about other than to pour one out for our poor hash rockets? <laughs> I'm happy to go into a little bit about what I've been working on recently, which I, I I think will be relevant and interesting to the folks at home. So basically, after Justin and I, Justin and I have been texting about this probably on and off for what, like a month now. And uh, Justin was like, I'm going to build my thing on top of Rubocop because it's like quick and dirty and I can do it. And I was like... Yeah, but I don't want to put RuboCop in my editor save hook. Like, I just, I just don't. And as I said, I've been programming a lot of Go recently, and so I sort of endeavored uh, to start building a tool which, like, is significantly faster than RuboCop, specifically for the formatting piece, with a with a view to like implementing most of the opinions in standard in sort of a new formatter that I'm I'm lovingly calling RubyFumped uh, for the moment because why not. And yeah, it's it's going really well. Like it's round tripping large files in like fifty milliseconds, which is just a little slower than I would like, but is acceptable. Uh, and yeah, I'm so I'm working on that. So what's involved in building something like that? How does some? How would you go about? What what are you actually are you doing? Basically, what RubyFoam does is it loads your file. Uh, it invokes Ruby's built-in parser in the standard library, which is Ripper. Runs Ripper over your file, builds a syntax tree, and then basically walks the syntax tree, like re-emitting all of the all of the code from your file, just like formatted, right? And so the the idea here being that uh, once this tool is complete and it's like nowhere near complete yet you'll sort of be round tripping files through it on in the safe hook on your editor to auto format them and then run the run like run it over all the files as a ci check but like unlike rubocop this tool is deliberately never going to know enough about the semantics of ruby to do linting and like there are there are some sort of questions about where that boundary is and then like i think justin and i are somewhat aligned on the existence of this being a good thing simply because then you have like your real honest to god zero configuration formatter that is separate from rubicop and is really fast and yeah so so that's kind of where i'm at and sam and i we have a i think a uh 
a very healthy working relationship as two randos on the internet who I think we generally share a value system and we're, we're sometimes like so well aligned that we tend to like overlap. And so if anyone's listening to this wondering, does that mean that Sam's thing and Justin's thing are going to be competitors and we're going to fight to the death? I regret to disappoint you that we're like, (laughs) we're in cahoots. Um, So You know, there's another analogy that's super duper useful, I think, to understand where this all fits in. First of all, one of the things standard does is it is a, you know, tries to play like nicely as a minimal Unix tool. That is like when you run it, it Mm -hmm. doesn't output anything by default unless there's a problem and, you know, like just exits cleanly. Uh, That makes it easy to chain and throw into scripts and so forth. Because frankly, if there's no failures, you shouldn't really care about the output of your linter. Similarly, it tries to be as single purpose as possible. But right now it is sort of stuck in this no man's land of like some things are layout and formatting and some things are genuine like linting like hey you know don't invoke a method this way or it might be ambiguous that sort of thing and so yeah don't un- unused variables yeah exactly like and when you look at um uh again using standard js and ESLint as the comparison of like what's popular in the javascript world right now it's actually a little bit more colored than that is that Standard uh, focuses primarily on linting rules, but the most popular formatting tool in JavaScript is currently prettier. And so what we're starting to see is a lot of teams just, you know, use plain old Unix pipes and run their code through uh, prettier and standard as part of their build. And so my hope is that, uh, you know, Sam uh, publishes Ruby format. He and I kind of work together through uh, any quibbles that standard and Ruby format currently have. Uh, And then I summarily cut out of uh, standard anything that Ruby format can do. And what's left behind is a smaller, faster subset of the linting rules uh, that we selected out of RuboCop so that teams can just, you know, as day one of their project, pull in standard, pull in Ruby format, uh, and then they're off to the races with a consistent configuration with fast save hooks and, and consistent linting. Yeah, and so I very much agree with Justin's position there, and mine is more taken from sort of my experience in the Go world, where almost everyone runs uh, Go format on uh, every single one of their Go files every time they save it, but then they save all of their linting passes for like CI or a pre-push hook. And so like, if you sort of think about RuboCop, it's, it's good at a lot of things, but its execution time, especially with bundle exec in front of it, is always going to be too slow for you to put it in your editor's save hook. And so my sort of like single, well, there are a couple of motivations here, but like the, the big one is like a tool like this really does not exist in Ruby. And also like no one's really ever taken the time to like sweat the small details of like Ruby formatting. So like, it's funny, Noel, earlier you mentioned like def method name with no parentheses and then an args list. And because I've been heads down in Ruby auto formatting for the past like three days, I'm like, well, actually a method name can be literally any Ruby expression. So like, how do we reconcile that? Right. (laughs) Well, not quite, but like, you you know, you can do like thing dot thing dot thing dot method name. Right. And so like, how do we, how do we reconcile that? And all sorts of like, and so I think, frankly, like a lot of the built-in RuboCop rules make an assumption that you will never hit these edge cases and sweating all of this small stuff is something I definitely want to do in a pass before we we sort of put a 1.0 on RubyFumped. Uh, I want to take a lot of input from not just Justin, uh, sorry Justin, but like the community as well. I'd really, really like to get the input of some people who have never seen like Ruby versions below 
two 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 or two three because I think they will have very different opinions to me and Justin on how Ruby is supposed to look. Um, and yeah, I'm going to be like doing a very open RFC style process. And yeah, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. It's it's early days right now. It's like. I'm just about able to round trip a single large file out of RSpec through it and not break RSpec CI, which will be a, a huge crowning achievement. Uh, and that's really when that will give us the basis of, of this platform for then to start the infinite bike shed. But I, I'm really hoping here to like have the last bike shed on Ruby style ever. And then we just have a tool that once it's 1.0, people just use and that's it. Well, so I guess what we're actually advocating is two medium-sized bike sheds, and one lives at GitHub Testable Standard, and one lives at GitHub Sam Fippin Ruby Format, and and we've successfully externalized this. Really, if 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 you want to look at it a little bit more generously, you know, Sam and I are just sort of, sort of shouldering all of the care mat <laughs> about <laughs> about this. <laughs> Uh, on behalf of the community, and and uh, while I, I I applaud Sam's adoption of an RFC process, right now I, I, standard is also pre 1.0. I don't really know when the right time to call it 1.0 is. Uh, it's it's changing, of course, uh, quite a bit as we go. But it doesn't work with my editor yet, so you can't make it one. Well, it works with Vim. Do you use Vim? No. Well, I, see, you were in my RubyConf talk, which was oh all right, I don't use Vim. <laughs> You talk. You guys talked about sharing a common philosophy about how to structure this stuff. And is there something like principled to that beyond like this is the idiom that seems most familiar or most like readable to me? Like, how would you describe the way that you are picking roles for standard or picking the formatting setup? I think the answer to that that last part of your question is probably a little premature. For me, I have like a, a few sort of guiding principles, right? So, so one is that like I really, I really want to minimize Git churn. Like, if a formatting rule will minimize Git churn versus not minimizing Git churn, it's one that I'm likely to want to pull for. I want things to feel consistent with how people are already writing Ruby. So, like, if like standard or Ruby firm significantly churn files out of like RSpec or Rails or something. That's a, a point to pause, right? And then I guess Justin maybe uh, also has some strong opinions that he might want to interject here. Yeah, I was just going to say that that's one of the criticisms, right, with the RuboCop defaults, which is that the RuboCop default language structure doesn't feel like Ruby anymore if you've been programming in Ruby for a long time. Well, there's there are a couple of things that have been sort of guiding lights to the rules that I've selected for standard. Um, and several of them, like, for example, I caved on trailing commas and in, in hash and array literals to reduce git churn which isn't the most common way for people to to format Ruby, uh, but the people who believe in it are the loudest, and I gave up. <laughs> uh, so, hi, hi. Yeah, you're one of them. Uh, and that's okay, because I think ultimately, since it's an auto-formatter, like it has an auto-fixability. We haven't talked about auto-fix yet, but that was one of the things. Is in, in general, favor auto-fixable, uh, especially safe auto-fixable right. uh, rules over ones that can't be safely auto-fixed. Uh, because if it can't be auto-fixed, then there's some amount of judgment uh, or, or deviation in behavior or maybe even performance uh, between one option and the other. And in general, I'll disable those. Yeah, and actually, if I if I may interject here, ru- like Ruby format as a strictly as an auto-formatter intends to never change the semantics of your Ruby program, right? It's just moving like characters around and will not actually like significantly alter the semantics of your program. And, and Ruby's pretty darn forgiving about moving characters around too. 
so that's great. Uh, the other, the other one uh, <laughs> that I think about it a lot is people proposing, you know, rules and then me looking into them and playing with them. And, and the longer the conversation goes, very often it's a sign that we should just disable the rule entirely as opposed to pick one side or the other, because like if a rule can't be applied close to 100% of the time, then it's probably unfair or inappropriate to say that that rule must be enabled 100% of the time in my unconfigurable <laughs> lynching tool. And so in general, it, uh, whether or not you agree with a particular rule, they must be agreeable in the sense that like it is fine to use hash rockets 100% of the time or 0% of the time, for example. Yeah, that sort of makes standards something to build on because a team might have additional configuration, addi- not additional configuration of standard, but additional consistency yeah. things that they might want to so build I, in. I guess we should maybe make this explicit because I'm, I'm not sure that we did, but both Justin and I have fully climbed down from the always hash rockets hill. It turns out to be wildly unfeasible with uh, keyword args and Ruby. It's going to break real hard in Ruby three. Uh, so, as much as Justin and I love the hash rockets, we are not going to be enforcing them. In fact, in fact, I'm actually enforcing people not use hash rockets. Uh, so, once again, I encourage Sam. Hey, we believe in this very niche thing. Please write a blog post about it. Sam writes a terrific blog post, and then two days later, I cave. <laughs> Sam, I just killed hash rockets, <laughs> and then and then four and then four weeks later, I I caved while having a completely different conversation with somebody else. I'll just say there isn't a major Ruby consulting <laughs> name like colon. Yeah, no, it's it's really interesting actually. the The thing that changed my mind is that I had a conversation with someone where I came to the conclusion that as long as a construct is not obviously broken so single quotes is kind of the like straw example that i'm using for this like the auto formatter should not try and replace it right so hash rockets and new new syntax will probably come out of ruby firm although justin i suspect is going to try and talk me down from that one but yeah like i'm replacing single quotes with double quotes everywhere as an as example because like the cost of churning those and to, to add interpolation to me is not worth the like potential differentiation between non-interpolating and interpolating strings. Well, and I'm, I'm not going to try to talk you down because I assume uh, everyone running Ruby format should also be running standard, and that one will make sure that all of the elements in the hash are consistent. <laughs> but no, I, I think it's a completely valid point. There's a fundamental, I think, ideology behind why we even invest time in tools like this. And it, it goes back to, I remember the first time when I first befriended uh, Aaron Patterson, like, six or seven years ago one of the first things he told me was the reason he worked on on ruby open source is because he wanted to use ruby at work and he wants to keep it that way so people can use ruby at work and i have been kind of chewing on that as a as a sort of operating thesis for like my time in ruby open source for years and i come and go uh because i don't think that the the language is necessarily the hill that i want to die on but one of the things that stands out to me about Ruby in this day and age is that auto formatters are really common. Uh, linting uh, and style tools are really mature, including RuboCop as being mature. But there's a certain level of expectation, I think, out there that you know these tools be available and conventional. Uh, and and Ruby is talks a big game. We we've we've been very successful in in socializing lots of valuable ideas about design, about testing, about expressiveness in code, about about putting into practice extreme programming and agile principles and stuff. But we are way behind the eight ball in these. Uh, you know, sort of bike shedding arguments. And so having having a tools 
that uh, make our code just as consistent and carefree uh, as are available in other languages seems like it's becoming table stakes. And I want Ruby to be able to compete. Yeah, I don't know that I could put this any more eloquently than Justin just did. Um, One place where I see the coding rules really, really break down is in Rails view template files, whether they're Haml or ERB or something like that. Like my experience is, is that people are much sloppier in the small Ruby snippets that they write in that. I mean, the, the Haml lint tool, uh, which backs onto RuboCop does not autocorrect at all, which is a pain in the neck, but I have taken to using it on my projects specifically because I find that that code gets really sloppy. And I don't know whether you guys see that or whether you have any feelings about that. I have definitely experienced both Haml and ERB templates that follow none of the same styling rules as their parent projects. I would say that's an extreme stretch goal, at least on my part. Like getting all of Ruby like formatted correctly is going to be a big enough lift on its own to then do Haml and uh, ERB as a second pass. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's why the Hamillant tool actually doesn't autocorrect because it, it can't. It was something about it being very hard for it to hold onto the syntax tree of the internal Ruby yeah. to do the autocorrect. I, I, I don't remember the details. Something like that. <laughs> Nervous laughter. Yeah, well, this is this is one case where I'm glad that I am just some bozo uh, picking out linting rules uh, and not re-implementing RuboCop from scratch because uh, it is a, a, a super hard problem. But I, I will point out, though, that what is best for a Ruby code listing in terms of style and format and uh, and rules of the road might differ a little bit from, you know, best practice for, you know, writing a, a template clearly. You know, like I, I, I uh, it's maybe a trite example, but the kind of iteration that we see in a very side effecty way uh, as you like iterate over the items in a list, for example, to print them out in a template, like that's a really, really common thing to do. But I tend not to write dot each ever when I'm writing in Ruby because I'm almost always like returning a value. And so it's just like, I think that the mode that you're working in is different enough that I'm not so eager to jump in and say that the rules that are good for a Ruby file listing necessarily apply to a template. I'll also say that I think I've had fewer bike shedy conversations about those things. I've definitely like, I don't know that anyone has ever really started like a flame war on the internet about how IRB files are supposed to be formatted uh, in the same way that like there are, there are a lot of discussions, right. About how our core Ruby files need to look. Which is weird because I think that the ERB and Haml files on most Rails projects, including my own are, are a mess. A mess in ways that could be fixed. Like a really trivial example is uh, about a year or two ago, I started actually parenthesizing the Rails helpers in a Haml file as though they were actual method calls. And it actually made a surprisingly huge difference in how readable I found the files. And and so I kept doing it. But like a lot of people don't, or a lot of people are just really inconsistent. About I think it. a little bit of, of my take on take on that might might be a kind of like a broken windows theory. So like like we tend to think of our Ruby files as being like nice or at least possible to make them nice i don't know i don't know that anyone is madly in love with their templates right yeah i think that that's true i i i think that that's like to some extent a different conversation about why the markup part of that is you're you're essentially interfacing with a whole other system that has a weird yeah and i mean you're effect you're effectively writing a programming language in a in inside of another programming language right so you're you're always going to have some trade-offs there I genuinely am curious, I think, about the extent to which tools like these will be adopted and how much uh, 
of that is going to rest on our shoulders as people building those tools. By the way, Sam and I have not explicitly like invited others to collaborate and contribute to these projects, but please know that all are welcome and we would love your help. And right. I'm sure Noel, Noel will have links in the show notes to, to, yeah. to our projects. I've, been fo- I've definitely been following the standard development pretty closely. I haven't watched Sam's as much. Well, that's that's because right now it only exists on my on my laptop. Yeah, basically, basically, as soon as I'm like able to demonstrate that like it doesn't immediately break Ruby files, my thesis is that uh, I could just write a Ruby auto formatter that formats Ruby exactly how I want it to be, and then have it for myself, and like no one would adopt it, right? And that would be a huge waste of my time. So like, this is this is A, why I'm collaborating with Justin because he's already done a lot of the legwork, but B, I'm also like very deliberately going to be soliciting feedback from as many people in the community as I can as to whether or not they've like, they think the rules are good or bad because this is a tool I would like to see heavily adopted because I think it genuinely does fill a need that doesn't exist at the moment, right? Like it is, it is a materially different thing to what Rubocop does, even though a lot of the behavior overlaps, right? And so at least from my perspective, and Justin, this is a, this is a great way that you've sort of posed it is that like, I don't want Ruby to end up as a tool that like no one adopts, even if it is useful. Right. And so that's why, I'm going to be doing wide feedback cycles and it will be a long time before we see a 1.0. Well, and I guess my question is if these fail to get, I mean, well, first of all, if they're successful, it's the answers to all these questions are obvious, but if they're not successful, I'm really going to be genuinely curious as to the cause. Is it because Ruby is a more mature language and people are set in their ways? Is it because most projects are, you know, existing code bases as opposed to new code bases? Is it that the implementation sucked or that we failed to socialize it successfully or that we picked bad rules and bad style? I actually think that's probably a less likely <laughs> reason that they might not take off. But in general, um, this this sort of feeling that like the one ideological thing about Ruby that has always stood out to me, uh, starting with like wise poignant guide all the way down, is like Ruby's great because you can just do whatever the hell you want. And here we are, you know, years and years later, saying Ruby is great. Do it this way, and let's all do it this one way. And and that tension is going to be hard for us to deal with. But the fact is, like, lots of people use Ruby at work, and lots of people get tripped up over overly expressive and overly creative uh, Ruby code. And 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 I think having some guardrails uh, uh, can be useful. Yeah, I think that four or five years ago, I would have been really skeptical about a tool like this in Ruby. But two things have happened since then. One is I have had the experience in other languages using Elm format and using Prettier, um, and have found them to be like perfectly fine experiences. And I have also seen the effect that using a tool like that has on code review, uh, which is that it focuses code review on stuff that actually matters. I will say parenthetically that the first time I wrote some Go code and I hit the save button in my editor and all of the code just snapped into place, that was like an incredible experience, right? Super satisfying. Yeah. I, I, again, I, don't use, I, do, I see it in Elm more than in Go, but it's incredibly satisfying if you're me. I think that one of the things that Rubocop did that made its adoption much, much easier was the ability to like grandfather in all of your existing code, which made it much more feasible for a large existing project. So you didn't have to change everything. You could just start from a fresh slate and, and, and keep track of things as you wrote new code. Um, and I think that was tremendously valuable in, it, in its adoption. Um, and I think that, that like how will a large legacy code base incorporate these tools? the tools that you you two are both writing uh, is going to be a big 
feature. Yeah, I mean, I think from my perspective, it's uh, you have you know the one ginormous PR which reformats everything, and then you just you just go from there, right? Yeah, uh, we. I mean, for both of your tools, that's possible. In RuboCop, you can't really do that because uh, there's a lot of things that aren't autocorrectable. Right? Yeah. So, so, so my tool obviously is like literally the whole point of it is autocorrection. Like the way it checks if a file differs from its formatting is by literally running and then diffing them. Right. So that's the whole point of my tool. Uh, and I, I mean, Justin, I think is only enabling autocorrectable cops anyway. That is, that is unfortunately false uh, because uh, uh, there we had, this was a debate in test double, like, uh, we, we, we kind of trialed the tool internally before we published the gem. And some people were of the opinion, like we should make it only autocorrectable. But then when we started looking at like, you know, what that would mean turning off, there are actually a lot of valuable, uh, uh, rules where maybe it's just for implementation reasons are not autocorrectable in RuboCop. And, uh, sometimes they are judgment calls, but they're important to point out. Like for example, uh, assignment in, uh, conditionals. I personally really like the if foo equals as in assignment this expression then route this way in the controller else route that way but it trips people up enough and causes enough bugs that rubocop has a rule that says all right like that's cool if you meant for that to be assignment then you you must wrap that expression in parentheses if you didn't then you might have just screwed up a a boolean statement so that's an example of one where like it, because it is like the linter is pointing out like you need to make a judgment call it's not auto fixable and and so as a result when I think about adoption I'm actually going and like playing with repos like nokogiri to see just how much damage I'm in for in terms of how much manual work it's going to be to get over the actually ran standard on a long standing side project of mine that's not on GitHub or anything, but that I haven't touched really form reformatted the code in years and years just to see what it would do. And it did it did pretty well. Yeah. We are like super tight on time right now. So if you could just remind people where to reach you online if they want to continue this conversation. Yeah, so I'm uh at Sam Fippen, uh S-A-M-P-H-I-P-P-E-N, basically everywhere on the internet. And uh, because this is a JavaScript podcast, you can npm install me at npm install Searles, my last name, S-E-A-R-L-S. Uh, uh, fortunately, I am also uh, the first person with my last name on every social platform so far. And so uh, uh, if you find me on GitHub or Twitter or Gmail, you, they, you can pretty much guess uh, my username based on that. Okay, well, thanks both of you for being on the show, and I'm looking forward to seeing how these projects turn out. Tech Done Right is a production of TableXI, and it's on the web at techdoneright.io and on Twitter at tech underscore done underscore right. You can find TableXI on the web at tablexi.com or on Twitter at TableXI. Tech Done Right is hosted by me, Noel Rappin, and edited by Mandy Moore. I'm on Twitter at Noel Rapp, and Mandy is on Twitter at the Ruby Rep. If you like the show, please tell a friend or a colleague or your social media network or a relative or a pet, or just tell me. All of those would be very helpful. And if you'd like to re- leave a review on Apple Podcasts, that really does help people find the show. TableXI is a UX design and software development company in Chicago with a 15-year history of building websites, mobile applications, and custom digital experiences for everyone from startups to storied brands. Find us at TableXI.com where you can learn more about working with us or working for us, and we'll be back in a couple of weeks with the next episode of Tech Done Right. Tech Done Right.